Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, February 6th. Alberta was in focus on this week's edition of the West Block on Global Television following the proposed parental rights legislation released by the UCP government. We get details on the discussion from David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News. It is Black History Month and your Calgary Public Library has so many great resources available this month and always. We get some details on the programs being offered throughout the month of February with Stephen Dolman, Events and Program Partnerships Lead with the Calgary Public Library. And finally, have you seen the ad? Forget 5G when it comes to smartphones. Here comes 10G. Well, before you get too excited, we get details from the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, on how a marketing campaign in the U.S. has had to clarify the meaning of this version of 10G. Alberta was in the limelight in the latest edition of Global's West Block following the so-called proposed parental rights legislation released by the UCP government. Joining us to talk about it and all the latest news from the Capitol is Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, who was sitting in for Mercedes Stevenson. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, how this news, this so-called parental rights legislation, was received in Ottawa. What are you hearing from the nation's capital? Well, what's interesting, let me play the politics of it. I mean, the substance, there's a lot. To, I mean, let me back up. There was a lot in the package that was announced by mm-hmm. Premier Smith last mm-hmm. week. Unlike what Saskatchewan Scott Moe did or what New Brunswick Splain Higgs did, it's much more than the so-called pronoun rule in schools, right? That's the idea that teachers will have to tell a parent if a kid shows up and wants to be known by a different name or a different gender pronoun. Uh, that rule is in place in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick, and, and Daniel Smith is proposing it be in place in Alberta. But she went much further than that. She went much further with some restrictions on health care for trans minors, um, restrictions on the kinds of surgeries and other treatments that, health, uh, that minors uh, may get. Uh, some new rules about sex education, new rules about the participation of trans women in women's sports in Alberta. So a whole raft of things. But the chief, it seems to me, the chief um, concern of objectors at this point really centers around that pronoun rule. And so on the on the West Block on the weekend, we had the premier on to talk about things. It's her belief that changing pronouns is the first step that leads them to gender-affirming surgery. She thinks there's a cause and effect, essentially. Uh, we had the Randy Boissonneau, who is the only liberal in Justin Trudeau's cabinet from Alberta. He's, of course, from Edmonton. Uh, he takes a different view. He's gay. He's part of that community, and he's ready to fight this fight. And so in Ottawa, the it, it, this has become from mostly from the Trudeau liberals, but also from New Democrats. There's a New Democrat MP, of course, up in Edmonton, Heather McPherson, you know, they picked up uh, the fight here, and they want to take on whatever Danielle Smith does. Of note, and I think this is important, conservative leader Pierre Poiliev, he's been asked where he stands on this. And yesterday he got asked this, and he dodged the question and didn't really answer. Uh, Danielle Smith was in Ottawa yesterday. She got asked, did you talk to this guy, Pierre Poiliev, about what you're doing? And she says no. Um, and... The conservative MPs in Ottawa have been instructed, don't engage on this file. Hmm. And I can tell you why. They're miles ahead in the polls. Why? Because they focused on housing and affordability. Those are the two things. You look at any poll that are number one in voters' minds. This issue of parental rights and, and so on, it provokes a strong reaction. But there's no poll that suggests this is how I'm going to vote 
on this particular issue. It's way down the list of priorities of voters. And so my sense is the Poiliev gang in Ottawa, knowing if they get dragged into a culture war, a war on the woke agenda, whatever you call it, it's, it, there's not, no real upside to that. Stick mm-hmm. with hammering the Trudeau Liberals on housing and affordability. That's where the federal conservatives are going. So I found that very interesting, that they, mm-hmm. they're not at all interested in engaging that. And if you asked, you asked your local conservative MP in Calgary, I bet over the weekend, um, you know, they would rather start talking about housing and affordability and cost of living and all those things. So it's got, it's, it's got the, the capital C's. There was some, as I say, Daniel Smith was here last night. She held a reception on Parliament Hill, or she was given a reception on Parliament Hill by uh, what used to be called the Manning Center. And, uh, and there were picketers and protesters uh, outside uh, that particular uh, facility, just as there were uh, protests in Calgary and Edmonton over the weekend. Interesting times, and uh, Premier Smith was in Ottawa to open a provincial office in the capital. Uh, now, here's the question for you, David, that we had, to, you know, in the office here. Uh, other provinces and their presence in Ottawa, is uh, are we seeing the other provinces represented, or is this a unique move by Alberta? It, it's pretty unique. Uh, the only other province that has a, quote, embassy here in Ottawa is Quebec. And, of course, Quebec is right across the river. Um, and yet the Quebec government felt that it needed uh, its own office and its own representative here in Ottawa. And, in fact, Premier Smith said, and I quote, she was 100% inspired by the province of Quebec. She wants to have an office here, a presence on the ground, an Alberta government representative uh, to, as she says, increase collaboration. You know, she came yesterday, she, 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 she gave a press conference uh, she gave a speech to a, a, a luncheon club, and then there was this, this thing. And at each point, she stressed, listen, Alberta wants to be part of whatever energy and climate solution that we're all seeking here. We want new, Alberta wants new investment. We're not here to pick fights. But on the other hand, um, we're not going to take some of the what she calls um, strange rules from, quote, the ideologue uh, environment minister Stephen Gilbeau. She does not like Stephen Gilbeau. I'm sure the feeling may be mutual. Um, she called him an ideologue, says he doesn't listen, he breaks the laws, he's pulling the entire liberal brand down across the country. And so she was just hammering Gilbeau whenever she got the opportunity. And on the other hand, she had high praise for the industry minister of Quebec's Francois-Philippe Champagne. Champagne, she says she loves, he's all about increasing industry and investment. So she came here with sort of this double-edged sword. But now she's going to have a representative here in in uh, in Ottawa uh, that can sort of keep an eye on things and, again, you know, meet with politicians to try and push the ball forward uh, for Alberta's agenda. And she said she hopes other provinces might do the same because it will only be Alberta and Quebec who have offices uh, here in the capital. Uh, you know, the Ontario capital, Toronto, is only, you know, a five-hour drive an hour-long plane ride away. It's, it's not uh, that big. But uh, maybe other provinces will see fit to do the same, Premier Smith hoping uh, that they do. Also, she's saying, she, she said in her press conference yesterday, that it's not just Alberta that is not getting along with the federal government, mostly on the environment file. It's all provinces. And she says, you know, that, uh, that, that she's she put it on the, the federal government, the Trudeau government, that they have to do something uh, to sort out this relationship. And specifically for Alberta, and this is what I thought was a unique thing, a unique line from her, she says she's seeking to uh, a new consensus between Alberta and Canada. So we'll see how this plays out. She mm. set the framework, 
And uh, she's got some, uh, you know, staff here in Ottawa that is ready to advance Alberta's agenda. Is that how it works in Ottawa, David? Like, can can there be somebody who is in an office from Alberta in Ottawa and, you know, if something comes up, they can just kind of jump into a quick meeting? Is, is that how the politics work? I, I It can and it can't. I mean, don't forget, there's a whole bunch of MPs from Alberta. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 30-plus MPs, and it's their job to be here in Ottawa advocating for not only their communities but their cities and certainly their province and you know i got to be honest with you um, i would say they are right in lockstep on the broad policy issues of the alberta government uh you know no carbon tax for example um increase investment in oil, in clean oil and gas or doing what you can to to uh to promote uh cleaner oil and gas um new sorts of renewables the federal conservative party i think is very much on board on a lot of the other stuff that uh, Premier Smith's government is advocating. So we'll see. I mean, I think certainly there's an element of politics in this. Premier Smith very much likes to uh, tilt at the Trudeau government, and I think her supporters enjoy it when she takes on the Trudeau government. To come all the way back to the the big announcement on those pronouns, um, in in Saskatchewan, Scott Moe had to invoke the notwithstanding clause because the law is on the side of a child, who wants to be known by their name or their pronoun. A child has that right, says the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And so Scott Moe, to override that right and give it more to parents to be provide consent for a child to be called whatever they want, he had to invoke the notwithstanding clause. And on the show, I asked, and she was asked more than a few times, uh, Daniel Smith, would you invoke the notwithstanding clause? And she's very coy at this point. I think she's playing this politically very smart. She's trying to keep the heat down. She says she doesn't hope it comes to that and we're going to work through things. Mm-hmm. But there's no way around it. If she wants to put that rule in, one province had to invoke the notwithstanding clause. It's hard to see how Alberta, how Alberta uh, could avoid that. Wow. Interesting times. Yeah. Thanks for your insight this morning, David. We appreciate it. Hey, no problem, guys. Have a great morning. Thank you. That is David Aiken, Chief uh, Global's Chief Political Correspondent. And uh, we appreciate having him on. And Mercedes Stevenson is usually on in this slot each mm-hmm. and every week. It is Black History Month, and your Calgary Public Library has so many great resources available this month and always. To learn a little more and to get a little more informed, we're joined this morning by Stephen Dolman, who is Events and Program Partnerships Lead at Calgary Public Library. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, The Public Library hosting a series of events to give space to people and stories that will honor, educate, and shine a spotlight on Black history in Canada. Tell us what you're offering up. Absolutely, yeah. So Black History Month is a time for us to observe, learn, and celebrate the many achievements and contributions of Black Canadians and their communities. And for us to sort of play our role, we're running a series of events, including a national film board series, so showing three films. One is around the rise of basketball in Toronto, one around porters on trains, and one I'm really looking forward to, which is an in-person screening of John Ware Reclaimed, which is Cheryl Fogo's film about John Ware. And that one will have Cheryl Fogo, Chris Demeanor, and Miranda Martini participating in a panel uh, after the after the film. So you mentioned, you know, we, we say the library, Stephen, you're thinking you're just going to flip through books, but you've got the audio visuals, you've got some special guests. Is that is that a huge part of the library, the interactive nature and the tangible versus just reading and how far the library has come? I think everything's connected. So, of course, our librarians curate book lists for all ages and linking people back to those resources and then having in-person events or virtual events where people can learn more. And then when that program's over, 
where do they go from there? So what are the next steps? And, and one of the ones I'm really looking forward to is a program on February 26th with historian Bashir Mohammed talking about the civil rights movement in Alberta and some of the key figures in that. So it's about lifelong learning, listening to our communities and, uh, you know, again, creating space to celebrate those stories and learn. Uh, Stephen, I'm looking forward to one of our favorite Calgary Stampeders, former Calgary Stampeders, John Cornish, um, who is now the Chancellor of the U of C. He's hosting a special event February 13th at Central Library. Tell us about that. Yeah, that one's in partnership with the Chinook Country Historical Society, so a long-standing library partner, and they do an excellent job of curating these monthly talks around particular months or days of recognition. And this year, of course, they are very fortunate to get John Cornish to talk about power and privilege, um, which I think is going to be a really fascinating talk. Of course, yeah, Sue mentioned this one's at the Central Library with John Cornish and the Central Library, kind of the crown jewel of the Calgary Public Library system. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, are there resources and events happening all four corners of the city, or is this more focused on the Central Library when it comes to Black History Month? Most programs and events are happening at Central, but we are offering the Bashir Muhammad program virtually as well. And a lot of locations will do book displays around Black History Month, which also helps promote those programs. And the great thing about Central is lots of room for everyone to come on down and uh, really embrace the month, celebrate some stories, and, and learn some new things as well. Sounds fantastic. Thanks for all that you and your team offers up at all the various libraries around the city. Stephen, appreciate it. Oh, very much. My pleasure. Thanks Thank you. to both of you. Thank you. Thanks. Stephen Dolman, Events and Program Partnerships Lead at Calgary Public Library. You can go online, find out more at calgarylibrary.ca as we celebrate Black History Month. Have you seen the ads? Forget 5G when it comes to smartphones. Here comes 10G. Well, pretty soon those 10G plans won't be sold anymore. It's Tech Tuesday, and Mike Yanni is here to explain all of that, plus why console wars for gamers may soon be over as well. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. You're speaking a completely different language for me. Please explain. <laughs> have, have you seen any of the ads leaking over from the, the, the U.S. from 10G? Kind of, yeah, but I never really sort of, uh, what are they getting at? Yeah, right? So it's a huge question. I am a tech guy, and I was super confused about what's going on. Uh, I was in Vegas, and of course, the billboards there are all over the place. Uh, so I, I decided to do some digging, because of course, we know 5G is out right now. And I was like, well, 10G, what happened to six, seven, eight, and nine. Exactly. And apparently I'm not the only one surprised. The National Advertising Review Board in the States is also saying, hey, what are you guys talking about here? So let's be very clear. 10G has nothing to do with mobile networks, nothing to do with your smartphone. What they're referring to is basically cable internet services that are turning to fiber. So uh -huh. fiber is much faster than cable. And fiber lines, in theory, can support speeds of 10 gigabits per second. 10 gigabits. There's the 10G, 10 gigabits. So that's where they get the name from. But, of course, the cable companies in the States, just like the ones here in Canada, also sell cell plans. So they're using 10G as like this umbrella term to get convince you they have the fastest network. And, of course, that's causing a lot of confusion with customers, what 10G is. And, of course, they love the, the snappy name, 10G. It's twice as fast. It sounds like it should be twice as fast as 5G. So, basically, the advertising council saying, wait a minute, guys, separate this. This is not cell plans. you got to make it, do a better job of making this clear. I should say, though, you guys, 6G 
is coming for sell, hmm. but this is years away. We're, we're talking 2030. That's when it's ex expected to launch. Ooh, thanks for the clarification. Again, for anybody who's traveling, they're going to be saying, I got to upgrade <laughs> to that 10G phone right away. Uh, th thanks for that, Mike. I want to talk about something else, and it's been as, around as long as the 80s because I remember console wars even happening in the 80s when it came to, you know, if your friend had Intellivision and you had ColecoVision, another friend may have had Atari, and then Nintendo entered. You always wanted to get the best console, depending yeah. on the games that you could play on an individual console. You're saying that might be coming to an end. And you're dating yourself, Andy, by saying that. Yes, <laughs> I am. All day. <laughs> But you're right, console wars have been going on for, for decades, so that's why this is such a big deal. There's rumblings that Xbox, one of the popular consoles right now, might actually release some of its exclusive games on some of the competing consoles like PlayStation and even the Nintendo Switch. I mean, companies, they love exclusive games because it drives hardware sales and it makes gamers want to go out and buy their consoles because they want to, of course, play those games. So it's, it's always been a, a big part of the gaming industry. But this leaked out last week that Microsoft might do this. Microsoft now has announced a press conference for next week. They're not saying what it is, but they're saying that they're going to talk about a change in their business model. And this is interesting. So is this an end to the console wars? It's a smart idea. Game companies don't make a lot of money off their consoles. Sometimes they even sell them at a loss, but they do make money off games. Mm. So you can sell that game on three different consoles instead of one, possibly tripling your sales. They might be onto something here. Makes sense. Okay, to be honest, I don't really care about gaming. What I do care about <laughs> is the concept of smart earrings. Explain. We talked about smart rings last week. This is something well beyond that now. Yeah, and that's why I want to talk about this, because we just talked about rings. And I guess some new research out of the University of Washington are now saying smart watches and smart rings are great, but smart earrings might be the future. And that's because of the placement. Think about your earlobe. A great place to detect body temperature. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's much more reliable than the wrist or the finger where a ring would be placed. And it gets you all this vital information like, you know, are you sick? Monitoring fever. It looks at metabolism and even, of course, ovulation in women all with that temperature. So batteries on smart earrings apparently can last up to 28 days. So interesting, though, you guys, smart earrings have actually been around for over 10 years. We've seen them at CES for oh. years, but they kind of like some of them even played music right to your ear. <gasps> But they've never really taken off. But is this new research now, now that we have researchers saying, hey, this is much more reliable, is this going to kickstart the smart earring phase now? Are we going to see these all over the place? I think it's really a neat idea because like a ring goes over your skin. But if you think about an earring, the post is going through your skin. So it should be able to register more information, right? Yeah, I think the key is, can you make it small enough that people are going to want them? And maybe that's why smart earrings haven't really taken off much, because the ones that we've seen coming out, they're pretty big. Yeah. And I mean, if you're, if they almost look like brooches on your earlobe. Oh. So, I mean, hey, if you're into that, great. But I don't think most people are. So yeah. I think it's going to come down to now fine tuning a design that people like. And you know what? Build it, and they'll come, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, particularly when it comes to women, it's about the look. If it's an ugly earring, they'll go without the tech. <laughs> so if we can get that. And, I mean, a lot of people like to wear the Apple Watches, for example, and, and they're aesthetically pleasing. Sue's holding up her left hand right now, getting her steps. Uh, but, yes, <laughs> uh, it's going to be interesting to see where that tech will take us. Thanks so much for the update, Mike. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure.
Mike Gianni, he is the Gadget Guy. He appears on the program for Tech Tuesday every second Tuesday. You can find out more about what he does by searching on YouTube for his channel. Search Gadget Guy Mike or online at Gadget Guy Mike.